0: Well, as I was pondering what to uh, preach on this Father's Day, I could think of no better focus than to take us to the foundational identity that we have as followers of Christ. The highest privilege of the Christian life and the deepest longing of our hearts is to know God as our perfect Father. Let me say that again. The highest privilege of the Christian life and the deepest longing of our hearts is to know God. As our perfect father. You see, as Christians, we are invited into the same love relationship that Jesus had with his father. Jesus was the only natural son of the father from all of eternity. But what he came to provide for us was that model of the relationship between father and son, this love that was together, and then because of his sacrifice on the cross to adopt us as children into the family of the true father. When you look at the Gospels, 170 different times Jesus referred to God as his Father. It's only used 15 times in the Old Testament where God is acknowledged as Father, and most of the time as Father of the nation of Israel, not as a personal Father. And so what we're going to explore this morning is this bedrock truth that our Father has adopted us as his children. And he takes great delight in us. We are the pride of his life. Do you believe that? I personally have had a very difficult time believing that. This is going to be a very autobiographical sermon because I think it's been the the duffest uh, truth for me to embrace in my life and yet the greatest discovery that I've ever had that I am the beloved of the Father. Well, that's where we're going. How are we going to get there? Well, I think it's broadly observed that our first impressions of God are derived from the model of our human parents. Our parents are our first God figures. Our ability to trust God, to become intimate and self-revealing and personal with God, our sense as to whether God has our best interest at heart, comes from the model for good or ill from our parents Initial Ponder this for the moment, if you would. Uh, what would God be like... If he were like your parents, hmm, smiles come to our faces. Hmm. Well, as I said, uh, our first model comes from our parents and even from our fathers. Corten Boom, the great Dutch Christian, said that she learned to trust God even in the midst of the horrors of a German concentration camp during World War II because of the warmth of her father. During those times of horror, she remembered fondly a young, as a young child the, the pattern that had been established in her life. When she was ready to go to bed and had herself dressed in her nighties, she would stand in the doorway of her home and she would call out across the house, Papa, I'm ready for bed. And Papa would come and pray with her and say, sleep well, Corey, I love you. And then he would place his hands right next to her face. And Corey said, I always tried to fall asleep before my father removed his hand. And so when she was in that German concentration camp, living in those god-awful conditions, she said she would go back to those moments where she felt the touch of her father's hand as her father's hand upon her. And that's how she was able to get through that horrible experience. I tell Cory Ten Duboom's story with some envy because my story in relationship with my father was not quite like that. Up until my father's death in 1994, I longed for two things from him that he was not able to give. I wanted him to allow me into the interior of his emotions to ex- describe for me the meaningful events of his life that had shaped him. You see, my, my father had a rather unusual upbringing. <laughs> he was raised in Tibet, the son of missionaries. From age 2 to 17, that's where he was in this remote, very different part of the world. And it, frankly, was not a happy experience for him. I could rarely get him to talk about it with any meaning. So, But I wanted to get inside. I wanted to hear a little bit more of how that impacted his life. And he was had a hard time going there. The second thing I, I wanted from my father that I wasn't able to get was, in a sense, a blessing. To be able to see him live out his own Christian life and then pass that on to me. I long for these words. Greg, I've lived before you all these years as best I could as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now it's my time to pass the baton to you. It is your turn, Greg, to run the race. Be faithful as I have tried to be faithful. For reasons I have come to appreciate more in recent years, my father was not able to do that because of some of the reaction to his own upbringing. But some have seriously argued that if we've had an inadequate human father lacking in wisdom or the ability to show affection or abandon or even abused us at a vulnerable age, that we could never experience God as a loving father. And I think, oh God, I hope not. (laughs) Uh, I oftentimes actually joke with my 35-year-old daughter that uh, someday she's going to be paying a psychologist $200 an hour to sort out her relationship with me. So far, so good. Uh, To best my knowledge, that has not happened. But the good news is that my daughter's relationship with God as her father is not limited to her experience of me. To paraphrase J.I. Packer, there is a father who is faithful in love and care, generous and thoughtful, interested in all we do, skillful in training, wise in guidance, always available, helping us to find ourselves in maturity and integrity, whether we could say, I had a great father, or I have a great father, or my father disappointed me, or I hate my father, or I never even had a father, we can experience God as the Father, be reparented by our Father God. In fact, that's really at the heart of the good news. And I think this leads us to the center of what Jesus came to restore. In his work on the cross, I believe that Jesus came to adopt us into his family circle, invite us into that same love relationship that he experienced with his father. C.S. Lewis put it this way, the son of God became a man to enable men and women to become the children of God. You see, Jesus opened the way for us to enjoy the overflow of the love between the Father and the Son. That's what we get invited into. We get to experience this relationship that the Father and Son have together as the Holy Spirit draws us in to that context of the Trinity and opens up that life for us. Now, we get a window of of this kind of love relationship right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. You might recall in all the Gospels, it describes how Jesus presents himself to John the Baptist for baptism. And uh, as he's coming out of the waters of baptism, the dove comes down, the empowerment of the Spirit on his life for his ministry. But then there is a very personal word from Father to Son. Remember that? The Gospel writers nuance it in a little bit different way. If you were to look at the Gospel of Mark, you will see a very personal address from father to son. And it goes like this. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It's as if the father at the beginning of Jesus' ministry has to express something of his love and affection towards his son as he's entering into that public ministry. He cannot stop himself. I need to tell you the place that you have in my heart, the father saying. And, oh, the crowds get to listen in to this intimate kind of affectionate address. But then in Matthew's account, there's a shift. The Father doesn't speak directly to Jesus, but to the crowds about the affection that he has for his Son. Because it goes like this. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You kind of get the sense that this is a proud papa. His buttons are bursting. (laughs) I can't keep it to myself how I feel about my son, and I want you all to know it. Now, I guess all of us who have children at various stages have had those moments where our our child has accomplished something, and we're there watching the award given out or the touchdown that was run or the soccer ball that was kicked through the goal. And what do you want to do at that moment? You want to stand up and you say, that's my kid who did that. They're a part of me. Now, Lily and I had one of those moments in Labor Day weekend, excuse me, uh, no, it was Memorial Day weekend of 2002 when our daughter completed medical school and was receiving her hood as an MD. And to add to it, she was voted as the uh, most outstanding female student in her medical school class. So when the time came for my daughter to receive that hood and have it placed over her, uh, I had you know, positioned myself to make sure that I made a fool of myself at that moment. Uh, and I stood up when that hood, her name was read, and I said, "When to go, Amy?" I paid a lot of money for that moment. Uh, <laughs> I think Eugene Peterson has captured so well the feeling of this address in his translation. He says, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my life. As I have reflected on these words at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I've oftentimes thought of all the things that the father could have said to the son at the beginning of his ministry, why these words? I can think of other things that might be appropriate at this moment. A little coaching talk. Go get them, kid. Show them your stuff. Uh, maybe a word of caution about tough times ahead. Don't let those so-and-sos get you down. Maybe a word of perseverance. Hang in there to the end. A reminder of the mission. Show them how much we love them, son. I'm with you all the way. I mean, lots of things that could have been said at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Why these words of personal affection from father to son to launch Jesus into his ministry? I believe because even Jesus needed to know the place that he had in the Father's heart. After all, his ministry was going to end where? On a cross. There may be moments when he would doubt the loving presence of his Father. And he needed to know from the very get-go the place that he had in his Father's heart. Let me see if I can draw a parallel to that experience from a human experience point of view. As a dad, I remember as if it were yesterday, the feelings I had when I walked out of our daughter's dorm room for the first time and left her at college as we went home. Any of us been there? (laughs) You know those feelings, don't you? That mixture of kind of sweetness and sadness uh, that's there as you give that big hug and you walk away. Well, I wanted to express my feelings towards my daughter as she was going off to college. Now, I'm one who expresses them probably better on paper than I do personally. So I chose that route uh, to write out my feelings. And since I was a pastor and am a pastor, um, I had to have a biblical text for my message. And here's how it went, the same text that we're looking at this morning. Dear beloved Amy, when Jesus was about to be launched into her public ministry, his father had a message for him. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is my message for you, my child. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Amy, the most important message I could ever transmit to you is that you have a heavenly father who, because of what he has done for you, says, Amy, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I could not be prouder. To know that you are infinitely valued by God and that he takes delight in you is the truth upon which to build your life. The Father knew that the Son had great sorrow and grief ahead. Things were not going to be easy along the way. Just as I know, you will have bumps and bruises mixed with joy and celebrations ahead for you. When your faith is challenged by those who want to rob you of something you cherish, when you are fearful about your, who your friends will be, when self-doubt turns to questioning, do I have what it takes, when you are not sure of your direction, What makes all the difference in life is that we are loved. We are special to someone. We're not instantly rescued from life's difficulties, but we can bear anything when we know that we have a loving Father who will never abandon us in our moment of need. In our Father's affirmation of His Son, we have a window into the heavens of the love relationship that was there. No one had an intimacy with the Father like the Son. And if you simply study the Gospels through that whole window of Jesus' love relationship with his Father, uh, it's an amazing picture that emerges. Just a couple of windows here on that. Jesus says of his connection with his Father, No one knows the Son except the Father. Well, we would expect that. The Father knows everything. But no one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Father except the Son, and any to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This God who we say that we cannot see or peer into, the Son says, I have a direct access to the Father's heart. And I am the one that reveals the Father to anyone else. Probably the most endearing picture that we get of this father-son relationship is when we go to the Garden of Gethsemane. You recall that Jesus set his disciples aside and he went to meet with his father individually. And he's in this state of agony and distress over what lies ahead. And then he says these most intimate words. Abba, Father, remove this cup from me. The cup of the cross that is ahead. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Abba. Aramaic. Aramaic intimate, endearing childhood expression of son to father, daddy, papa. When Jesus was in this moment of distress, what did he do? He went back to his childhood language and the language of a child. And he cast himself before the father. Many people believe that Jesus spoke... The Koine Greek, the common Greek language of the day. But when he came to this moment, he reverted back to that childhood dependency upon his father. Joachim Jeremias, scholar says that in nowhere in literature do we find ever anyone addressing God with such intimate terms as Jesus addressed his father. Jesus became the trusting child who heard at the start of his ministry, you are my son whom I love. I think he went back to that moment. He went back to that time at the beginning of his ministry, and he remembered those words, and they sustained him during the biggest point of decision in his life. And the scripture says that when we put our trust in Christ, when we trust his sacrifice on the cross to take away the guilt of our sin and we enter into relationship with him, that the Spirit of God enters into us, and we too cry, Abba, Father. This is the way Paul puts it in Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, the good news is, That the natural Son of the Father gave his life as a substitute for the guilt of our sin so that we could be adopted into the family of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we receive that gift of forgiveness, the Spirit enters into us and we cry, Abba, Daddy, I'm home. I'm where I belong. G.I. Packer gave this definition of what it means to be a Christian. What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his Father. That we can cry, Abba, Father. In other words, in Christ, we come under the pleasure and the delight of the Father. What did the Father say to the Son? Whom I love, I'm well pleased. I'm proud of you. I'm delighted just so happens that my discipleship group this last monday was on this very theme and we were discussing this uh together and one of the questions that is asked in our study book is this is it difficult for you to believe that god takes pleasure in you is proud of and delights in you is that hard for you to believe what do you think the answer was in our group Yes, it's hard for me to believe. Why? Because I know my own shortcomings. I know my own failures. I know my lack of ability to live up to what God intends for me in terms of my discipleship. And that's where I live most of the time, rather than the pleasure and the delight that the Father has for me. Do You think he doesn't know that? One of them said, I I know that I have not been the kind of father that I wanted to be to to my children. And so our self-critique cuts us off from the delight that the father has in us. We don't step into it. We don't embrace it. We cut it off because of our own critical spirit about ourselves. And I must admit, I've been there. There's been a disconnect for me, too, in my own discipleship journey. I would say that the truth of being God's beloved has been the most difficult truth to get into my gut. And so let me take you a little bit into my own story and journey of getting to the place where I've been able to embrace being the beloved child of the Father. I came to faith in Christ as a young 12-year-old 7th grader, a kid full of fears. Uh, Where all those fears came from, You know, we can sit down on the couch and explore that. Uh, But uh, that was the fact. Uh, Fear of failure in school, athletics, friendships. And uh, in the midst of those fears, I was invited off to a weekend church camp. Somewhat unusual that I would have gone to that because I wasn't all that involved in church. But one other kid and I said, well, let's go together. Off we went. In the midst of that church camp, there was a declaration of the good news of Jesus Christ. On Saturday morning, the invitation came at the end of that message uh, through Jesus' words. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I remember thinking, I need rest from these fears. And the invitation was to get up out of your seat, go meet with a counselor. They will lead you into a relationship with Christ, which I did. Acknowledge my need for forgiveness. And in the midst of acknowledging that, I had this, frankly, overwhelming experience of the love of God in my life. I mean, I felt like I was being bathed in love. I remember sitting out on a rock and that campgrounds up in the mountains. The sun was shining, and I felt like that sun was just shining in on me and lifting these fears off of me. And my life has been perfect ever since. <laughs> well, Hardly. In fact, I think in some ways, uh, I didn't know how to appropriate that love deeply enough to address these fears and anxieties in my life. And so throughout my adult years, this would crop up again, sometimes in very debilitating ways. Sometimes in the presence of a, an authority figure that I felt like it was uh, diminutive in their presence and very self-conscious. Uh, sometimes it was fear of taking risks. Uh, but there was a clutch in my stomach a lot of the time, defended against um, the this world that I was living in. This anxiety reached its head in the winter of 1986. I had gone to be an associate pastor with a dear friend. Uh, we had dreamt about sharing ministry together. He was a senior pastor of the church. We had 18 months of wonderful bliss together, and then God called him away to go serve a church in the Philippines, and I couldn't understand what God was up to. <laughs> How could you bring us together for this wonderful experience and then separate us in that fashion? But this left uh, my future, rather, up in the air. Because associate pastors in Presbyterian churches, which this was, cannot become senior pastors in those churches. Some new senior pastor was going to come in. And so for the first three months of 1986, I was waking up every day with a clutch in my stomach. And try as I might, I could not get to the place where I entrusted my future to God. And finally, I said, I've got to do something about this. It's been too long standing. So I went to a a couple of of skilled prayer partners in the church. You know, it's a pretty embarrassing thing for a pastor to admit that they cannot trust God. Isn't that what I'm supposed to be doing? But I had to admit that. And I shared this with these two friends, and uh, they prayed with me uh, some healing prayer because that's what they were really gifted in. In the midst of this healing prayer, I had an image, and I'm not an image guy. I don't have these pictures that take form in my mind, but I did this one time, and it's still very clear to me. It was an image of a glistening white Jesus, like you might see him have appeared at the transfiguration. Couldn't see his face, but I knew it was Jesus. (laughs) And across his arms was this five- or six-year-old boy, and I knew that was me. I was just draped across his arms, and he was holding me. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this picture, he threw his head back in laughter and spun around, taking great delight over this kid. And I knew, even though it wasn't a deeply emotional experience, that something deep was starting to take place in there. That I was starting to be able to live into Paul's words that God's spirit will bear witness with my spirit that I am his beloved child. And I would say that much of the things that have happened in my life that are for the good in terms of embracing God's call have come because of the result of that moment. You know, I may not have gotten all that I wanted in a human father and I'm sure that my father regrets what he was not able to maybe give to me just as I maybe do with my own daughter. You may have that as well. But I have a father who is able to be all that I need. I have come to believe that I am included in the family of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and can hear the Father say to me, Greg, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love, the pride of my life. I guess my longing for all of us is that we can put our name in there and hear that and believe it and not discount it, not cut it off because of all the awareness that we have there was a woman who was the accidental product of her prostitute mother. Fortunately, her journey brought her to faith in Jesus Christ and blessed her with a deeply committed Christian husband and beautiful children, and yet she obsessed over finding out who her biological father was. One day, she was standing at her kitchen sink, washing the dishes with tears of anguish, frustration running down her face into the dishwasher. In her agony, she cried out, Oh God, who is my father? And then she said she heard a voice. I am your father. If I could adopt the voice of our father and speak to you, here is what I think he might say to you this morning. In spite of all your mishaps, the awareness of your failings with full cognizance of your regrets and missed opportunities, I take delight in you. You are the pride of my life, my treasured possession. The inheritance I have bequeathed to myself for all of eternity is you. Live in, bask in the sunshine of my pleasure I take in you. If you are far away from me, come back. The way is open. If you've neglected me, come home to your first love. If your heart is hungry, come further in to my joy in you. Start each day realizing that I have known your name from all of eternity and chosen you to be my adopted child. I have set my gaze upon you. I am so pleased to be able to say to you, as I have said to my natural son, You are my child, marked and chosen by my love, the pride of my life. And even as adults, we have a child in us that needs to be loved. Even Jesus reverted to his childhood dependency at a time of great distress in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he said, Abba, Daddy, Papa. And we too are to come as children. For as Jesus said, I I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Let me close with this image. Richard Foster introduces his wonderful book, Prayer, Finding Your Heart True Home, with an inviting image. He tells the story of a friend who was out in a shopping mall with his two-year-old son, and his son was particularly fussy and cantankerous this day, and whatever he tried to do to get him to calm down didn't seem to work. And then he had an inspiration. He scooped up his two-year-old son in his arms and began walking around the mall, and he made up a song and began singing to his son in this off-key tone these words. "I I love you. I'm so glad you're my boy. You make me happy. I like the way you laugh. Amazingly, this child began to relax and become still in the father's arms. And as they were getting back out into the parking lot and getting ready to leave and he was putting his son into the car seat, his son said to him, sing it again, daddy. Sing it again. We need to be reminded, don't we? Sing it again, daddy. Tell me who I am in your heart. We need to be reminded that he takes great pleasure and delight in us. You are my son, my daughter, chosen and marked by my love, the pride of my life. For in Christ, that is who we are. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much that you see right past all these things that we throw up as a barrier because of what Christ has done for us. When we put our trust in you and when we experience the joy of forgiveness, the awareness that the guilt of our sin has been taken care of, when Christ has come into us and occupied us, we can cry, Abba, Daddy. And know that we are home in your heart. Lord, seal that for us, I pray. Allow us to live there and stay there. And to see this as the central truth and foundational bedrock of our life. In Christ we pray. Amen.